Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. I believe all three of us have our paper draws. Is that right? We yes, I do. So despite the, the age difference on this podcast and the, the wonderful mix that we have, we're all going old fashioned. We have our paper and uh, we have uh, Nadal and Djokovic, their path in Australia has now been uh, a little bit, is now a little bit more clear, but it's not, it's never really clear until the matches uh, are set in stone. But Amy, what were your first uh, takeaways from the awkward um, draw ceremony and the subsequent reveal? Well, uh, okay, so I always like to know what the conventional wisdom is. And the conventional wisdom, as soon as I looked it up, because I obviously was not awake at 2 a.m. when it came out, was uh, everyone saying that Djokovic had a raw deal and that he, oh, he's got a tough draw. Why, why? Um, and uh, I, I don't agree. I don't agree at all. I mean, he's got Vavrenka, yes, but Vavrenka is older and he's coming off of injury. You know, he's got some older players and some players that are coming back like Raonic and um, Monfils is getting older now. And, and I, I just, these are all guys that Novak can handle. Um, on the other side, Nadal in his quarter, um, he's got potentially a matchup between either Sangren or D Manure and either one of those guys I wouldn't want to play if I'm Rafa. All right, we'll talk. Um, uh, that, um, I think, though, I looked at this. I think there are a lot of known, skilled players in Novak's part, and I think you've got a good point, Amy, and that that's just because they're known and skilled doesn't mean they're not in their 30s. Right. And, you know, they're, they're, they're takeable and they're familiar and they're generational. I'm, a, I'm, I'm sort of intrigued to see if Novak, um, Novak possible... Um, Second, uh, let's see, eventually possibly playing Rally Opelka. That could be um, in the third round. That's kind of intriguing. Mm -hmm. More so than Taylor Fritz, because I think Taylor Fritz, while he has a great serve, Opelka has like a ridiculous, you know, ascending yeah. thing. That intrigues well, me. And Joel, if I can interrupt, that seems to be something that Novak might face in back-to-back-to-back -back -back rounds in potentially Taylor Fritz, Milos Raonic, and then Sasha Zverev three straight players who can, you know, hit 140 or at least the mid 135s with their serve. That's but right. Gil, he is the world's greatest returner. <laughs> I mean, I personally think he could beat Raonic and, and um, Taylor Fritz in his sleep. Um, Riley Opelka, Joel, to your point, is a different kind of animal. Um, it, it's, but do any of us really think that that match is going to give him a hard time? 
Well, I was going to pose some questions, but in a way, this is kind of funny. This reminds me, this is the Australian version with Novak of the French version of Rafa. When you've won a tournament a bunch of times, it's your house. So he's quite comfortable. I was like, okay, come on, boys, bring it on. I've won here. I've answered questions here so many times before. Yeah, you, Stan and I, we've had some epics before. I won one, you won one. I've done a lot more than you. You're good. But yeah, and, and plus, they're going to, he doesn't have to play all of them because they're going to beat <laughs> each other. And then, you know, the interesting one out of this quarter is to see him eventually getting to Zverev, if he and Zverev meet in the quarters. And again, in the bigger picture, some of this draw casting, which I know we enjoy doing before the tournament starts, kind of, I, it, I kind of, once the tournament starts, I kind of stop. I'm not like, it, it's fun to look at. And then you just yeah. kind of like let the tournament come to you. On the Nadal part, um, I think though, I'm going to say that while I, I love Alex de Manure, I love the ent- energy and intensity he brings. And Tennis Sandgren, of course, has had some nice little moments down He under. loves Australia. He loves <laughs> Australia. And only, um, only one of them is going to win that match. And I think as a tennis matchup, I think it's easy for Nadal, barring, barring injury. I mean, I think Alex is like, oh, yeah, I know you. I knew Leighton Hewitt. You're no Leighton Hewitt yet. So I think Nadal, I think Nadal, though, has a pretty – look, these, our, our guys are both so good. I mean, doing draw casting with Nadal and Djokovic at, these, at, this, at Roland Garros in Australia, okay, I don't know. What do you, what, what do you make of these draws, Gil? Well, uh, I do think that Novak has a little bit of a tougher time, but with that being said, I don't see players who are going to be able to play the style that would be kind of, would, would make him more uncomfortable. I'll say uh, to your point, Amy, the, the return that Djokovic possesses and his ability to absorb pace. He's, I think he's really happy, especially at this stage in his career to play offensive players, big hitters, that, that he can counter-strike against and that won't drag them into long, grinding baseline duels. Nadal, I do think he has a somewhat cushy section. Um, you know, I think, I don't think Demonor is a bad seed to have to deal with. Certainly Fabio Fanini uh, on, a, on a court this fast. Dan Evans, uh, a righty who doesn't really have a topspin backhand. I think, I think Nadal's an, a matchup nightmare for a Dan Evans. So I don't think either of them have drawn anyone particularly worrisome. And then the last point I want to make is in the case of Novak, I, I just want to put to rest the, the fear of Stan Wawrinka for, for Novak Djokovic. And it's, it's not that Stan has not played Djokovic tough at, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure multiple majors, I think a couple, two, two U.S. Every, Open matches. Every major, every major Rarinka's won, he's beaten Novak. There you go. Right. I guess that's the fear. Um, he beat him twice at the U.S. Open 2019, 2016, I want to say, yep. and um, beat him in the that quarterfinal match in Australia 2014. Right. To me, to me, Stan Wawrinka hasn't looked like Stan Wawrinka in about 24 months. You know, ever since yeah. the double knee surgery, he's not, he's not really the same player. I don't have him getting through. I think Marton Fushevich is an incredibly difficult player to play in best of five, who he might have to play in the second round. And then Milos Raonic, I think, looked pretty good uh, at the ATP Cup. I missed his second match. Uh, but to me, uh, Milos, ever since really coming uh, from the COVID pause, looks like a top 10 player to me. 
he lost to Struff. Right. Um, who oh, yes. Played really well. Um, I I actually am hoping that Novak will end up playing Millman, the the crowd favorite, the home pl- favorite. Um, that could be a fun match. Yeah. I just think Novak's um, again. This reminds me. This is like the sibling of the talk we had before Paris and what Nadal does in Paris. Novak on the clay is what Novak does on this Australian hard. It's like you look at these guys. Like, yeah, they're gonna huff and they're gonna puff and they're gonna make a go at this guy. But he, you know, he's so Novak is so he's so well dialed in and he's so comfortable and I we we know he's fit. Um, I also think the freshness factor of not having played a while helps someone like Novak because of the kind of what high margin of his game, the discipline of his game, the simplicity of his game, more so than it would help Federer. You know, Federer, yeah, you're darn right Federer wants to play his first tournament back, not a slam. And we'll talk about that shortly. But yeah, Federer needs a little bit more time and match management to get the whole offense going. Novak, it's like, okay, here it is. Back on the chain gang, cross court, cross court, down the line, cross court, cross court. Yeah, I, I agree about how uh, almost how much cooking needs to be done and um, b- between the two. I'm curious, Joel, um, when you're looking at a draw, are you more concerned with the first couple players in the, I guess, the mini section, the eighth? Or do you think that a guy like Novak or a guy like Nadal is really looking at the seed all the way across from them? They're the, the top eight seed that they could meet in the quarterfinal. And that's, that determines what their emotions are uh, when oh, they wait. look at the draw. I like those questions, but I think you asked two and one. I think the first question is, what do I look as a, as a writer and a potential viewer and how the player looks at it? As a writer, I've gone through multiple phases. Once upon a time, I liked looking at potential quarters. And I've, I remember, I've, I, you don't want to know how many note cards I've put together or that projected 16s and, and this and that. <laughs> And then I decided, you know what? It's all too much. I'm just going to let the tournament come to me. And I'm just almost play the tournament in thirds. Let me just keep my head around this till they get to even 32, a couple of rounds. And then we'll just take it in sequences. And I bet, if a, I bet as a player, they think it even less. I think the player, this is the time where you think, how do I just keep maximizing my skills? One of the examples I remember, this is an odd one. Third, second or third round of the 2002 US Open, Pete Sampras is playing Christian Pless, a visible Danish player, but a, a guy he'll beat just about all the time. And he's working on some of his chip charge. And I was calling the action on the World Feed of the U.S. Open with a colleague. And, and he's, Sampras is getting passed a couple of times, but he'd win some. And my friend goes, why is it? My colleague goes, Sampras, why is he doing this tactic against this Pless? I go, this isn't about beating Pless. This is about winning the tournament. And it's not about beating anyone. So in a way, in a way, what these players are, the our guys like Novak and Rafa, they're looking to run their offense well. And then, okay, and who's next tomorrow? They're not thinking, oh, it's going to be this guy in the quarters. It's going to be that guy in the semis. It needs to be that more. And I think, and I wonder also, and maybe Amy, you can think about this too, is um, in our narrow world, quarantine, focus, not going out to dinners, not going out to concerts, this is even more of the kind of like, okay, here in front of me, here's the task now. I mean, what do you, maybe what do you oh, think? Oh yeah, I mean, I think these guys have probably seen enough upsets in the tournaments that whatever they may have entertained that they thought might happen 
couple rounds down the road, um, they've seen that blow up enough times that they, they probably don't even think about that other than a passing thought in the beginning. Yeah, team is in my side. All right, you know, let's, let's worry about that when we get there. Um, but just, uh, Gil, I just checked the odds um, while we were sitting here talking. Uh, Novak is favored to win the tournament. Mm -hmm. uh, Medvedev is the next team. And then Rafa. Rafa's the fourth best on the odds. He loves that. He, that's how he loves. He loves being there. He wouldn't mind being ninth. He wouldn't mind being. He wouldn't mind being like one twenty four. That's what. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, these guys. You know, I haven't done well there in a long time. Been it's been frustrating. He likes that. That's yeah. That's all. Whatever that stuff means. And again, that stuff is all. You know, that's a marketplace. That's a stock exchange. Right. Whatever. Yeah, I, I would have that a little bit differently. I do agree, though, that Medvedev should should get that respect up top. Um, I also think it, it has to do with maturity, right? Uh, Novak might be very good at only thinking about Jeremy Chardy in the first round. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. But Andre Rublev might be having trouble with the fact that he has to play, he might have to play his countryman, Daniil Medvedev, in the quarterfinals again. There's absolutely no one who Andre Rublev would less like to play, maybe aside from Djokovic. Rublev is 0-4 against Medvedev. They're best friends. I, I think Andre absolutely despises playing Daniil. And here they are again in another quarterfinal at the U.S. Open, our last hardcourt major. It was the same way. So I also think it depends on a case-by-case. -case. But I think, well, also, it's maturity is based on experience. In other words, it's like Novak, guys like Novak and Rafa, and this gets to the very concept of our show. It's like, all right, they've been there. They've flown these missions. They've played seven matches many times in majors. And here people like Rublev is, is still in the very early stages of resume building. So the notion, hmm, a quarter, but God, I got to play Medvedev. Oy. But it's like his, his team's job is to kind of like, let's not, we're, we're not in that world right now. We're in the, we're in the world of Rublev. We're in the world of Yannick. Hanfman. And once and once once you take your shower and have your smoothie and do your stretching, we'll start talking about the match you have to play in 46 hours. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of the world we're gonna occupy. And I wonder also if this uh if this uh if this silo players are occupying more, well it'll be interesting to see how they interact in Melbourne, you know, given the safety of the city now, how that works mm -hmm. compared to mm -hmm. compared to these other majors. What a what an adjustment period for these players each of these cities, huh? Yeah, I, I haven't read Jamie Murray's column, but he wrote about how weird it was to be in a COVID-free world. Um, I didn't get a chance to read it, but yeah, it's you're toggling between, it's like, it's like you're on a different planet. Um, I, I think that it's a real opportunity for the sport because the world is so tired of COVID and we're all stir crazy and we're gonna have tennis on with fans. 
And um, it's, it's an opportunity for people to like get into it. I mean, I'm telling my family, guys, guys, let's get into this. You know, let's watch it together and have fun with it. We'll see fans. Yeah. Are you going to make, are you going to have like a, a, a midnight all night party in Westport, Amy? Are you going to have like get, get, some, <laughs> get your kids and, and gather around the city at two in the morning? Oh gosh, maybe we'll do something fun for the the semis and the finals. I have a thought though. Here's a th- what I was wondering about. You know how they okay they had a number of events happening in the same place, somewhat like the U.S. Open, where we like let's move these events to the singular venue and almost create like a month long, three weeks, three four weeks of tennis. Is that is that part of the calendar? reform model yes we need to regionalize and this is like hyper regionalization but um one thing that really i didn't know until i started reading up on this the travel that the players do around the world is really bad on the environment very bad um they are polluting terribly by having just the calendar the way that they have it crisscrossing the globe if we could regionalize it would be a big climate saver but i mean even i that's interesting but i mean even the like the mega thing where it's like okay we're all going to be in melbourne park for the next that's six weeks we're, we're not we're not we're not going to adelaide we're not going to brisbane and we're you see what i mean it's like just like what happened at the u.s open last year do we do we play Rome and Paris. I mean, I, I know I know all the cultural aspects. I know the whole thing about the citizens of Rome and Monte Carlo, et cetera. But do we look to do more, even that kind of geographic compression? Because I don't know if I'm a player, once I'm set up, I'm not having to travel. I got my gym, I got my restaurants, I got my team. I, you know, I get a couple of rooms and suites and I'm set up in, uh, I'm set up in Melbourne for five weeks. I'm conflicted on this because I'd, I'd feel for communities losing tennis tournaments, but let's, let's pocket this and uh, revisit it uh, another time. We also have made a decision, an executive decision, I think, to not talk about the possible semifinals, okay? We're going to focus on the first week, take it one at a time, and hey, if, if we get to team versus Djokovic and Nadal versus Medvedev, if the seeds hold, then we'll get there. But for now, uh, let's talk real quick about Nadal and Djokovic this week for Rafa uh, stiffness in his back decided not to play ATP cup seems precautionary, but what it is kind of striking how often Nadal seems to be banged up um, during the first tournament of the year. Right. Yeah. But um, what's funny is that I really kind of, and I don't know anything. I don't know if this happened, but I have done things where I've been cooped up or I've had to um, be on the computer for a long, long time and I've gotten up and I've said, oh, I got to bust out some squats. I've just been sitting too long or I can picture Rafa being in quarantine, doing some sort of exercise that he doesn't normally do because he's away from the court, right? And, and lifting something or squatting or, or doing something like that. Um, I could envision that type of thing happening. And remember in his book, he said that once he was hurt, I think it was his knee or his lower body or something. And he took forehands and backhands from a chair. So this is a guy who is just, he refuses to stop. So you can imagine what his hotel room looked like. Oh man, it's probably best. That's the old Thomas Mooster when Thomas Mooster he was practicing in a chair when he was recovering from a, a knee injury. But 
Yeah, I think, look, Nadal, his whole career, I mean, he thought his career was going to end when he was a teenager. He, he didn't play the French Open twice early in his career when he was 17 and 18 and could have played it. So this is a, an ongoing thing. We should, we should come up with our, our homework assignment to do like a map chart of all the areas where there have been injuries for Nadal. And then you can compare it to Federer and, and Novak too. You know, it'd be interesting to see how they all do. And Nadal, look, I think everybody wants to be ultra cautious before they go. I mean, Serena Williams just pulled out of a tune-up event with a shoulder injury. And no one wants to be, no one, no one wants to be stupid. And there's no, there's no purpose, purpose in cramming and playing two or even three matches before the major starts. The work has been done prior. There's the fitness. Here's the tennis. Okay. So we 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 withdraw from this tournament. So that's okay. But he's yeah, his his hotel room. Oh my God, I could just make exercise equipment and all this kind of stuff all over the place. I I can't find it, but I've actually done a little flow chart of Nadal's injury history. Like I've gone through the mm. entire thing just because I wanted to see how much of it was on hard court, how much of it was on clay. Mm. And the the results are, yeah, like hard court is where he gets injured. The clay injuries are like wrist. It was a wrist. Um, so it, it seems a little bit more fluky in general, whereas hard court, you had the back go out against Stan Wawrinka in, in the Australian Open final. You had uh, the, the back very stiff against David Ferrer when he lost in uh, to, to David in 2012 or, or something like that in Australia, right? But so yeah, he's, keep he's mind, Gil, you're, you're young, so you're used to injuries happening when they happen. So, and so you think that's where they happen. But as you get older, the injury that surfaces on a hard court may have started on a clay court. You know what I mean? In other words, right. the, the US Open, the, when Nadal's gotten hurt at the US Open, let's say when he withdrew versus Del Potro at the 2018 semi, that might've been a attrition of the clay court work, you know, it's kind of the, the battle of Waterloo was won on the playing fields of Eton. So the, the, it, the cardboard gave it the opportunity to surface, but you know, it, it's not like he, it's not like he was just rolling down the highway when he was putting all that clay, clay court work. <laughs> yeah. But I, I guess I'm just making the point. It's the first major of the year. Usually everyone is healthier, but it doesn't seem to be that way for Nadal better than the U S open. I think if we compared, but still. Uh, Amy, what'd you make of Djokovic's week at the ATP Cup? Serbia was eliminated, but not because Novak Djokovic lost any tennis matches. Yeah, well, he lost in doubles. Um, well, but yeah. yeah, right. It's not his game as, we, as we've covered. <laughs> um, I thought he looked great. I thought he looked at times, uh, his serve looked extremely dominant. Um, loved the match against Shapovalov. I believe Novak won that 7-5, 7-5. So it was uh, a close match and a good match, but it, it was, um, Novak was more dominant than the, than the score led on. And he's very relaxed right now. I think he looks great. I would agree with that. And I think that Shapovalov match was interesting in that it was close, but it wasn't. It's like, in other words, I never had a sense that Novak was going to lose. And it's so interesting. Each of these three, Novak, Federer, Rafa, and the surfaces they most excel on you see, is a great lesson in kind of self-knowledge of game. I mean, you just see how Novak, hard courts, the bounce, the footwork, the movement. Oh, yeah. Just like Rafa on clay. And you see Roger at a place like Wimbledon, how Roger almost likes a little bit of the quasi-random quality. To Wimbledon you know Wimbledon is a little bit more 
different kind of points, but how Novak, how he just, he just settles in and he, and, and his game is so good on hard courts and he knows, he knows what his, his, what his parameters so well, what he can do, what he can't do, what he shouldn't do, how to move, how the court's never going to betray him. You know, the, the, the clay sometimes betrays Novak versus different people. He how he's like, what, what happened here? What this guy team, what they do to me, but never on the hard court. Never on in Australia. He's also got that Sampras-like quality. It's so much harder to hold against Novak when it's four-all or it's five-all. And that Shapovalov match was a good example. You could see him uh, just defending a little bit harder and connecting on returns that he maybe hadn't in the early on in the sets. And against a player like Shapovalov, he is so comfortable just basically hitting, you know, unattackable kind of deep but not overly aggressive ground strokes and just being like you'll miss you'll miss and Shapovalov did so it's a very it's, it's a different for all game than Pete Sampras Novak is more like I think it's a Chris Everett it's the okay. I'm impregnable I'm impregnable I know exactly what I need to do I dare you you go ahead it's like a chicken run of two cars you're gonna fall off the ledge anyway <laughs> Sampras kind of like yeah the balls have been flying for eight games and suddenly here I come Oh yeah, that's a good chip and charge. Oh, you just missed. Oh, love 15. You know, it's something like, well, where'd that winner come from? There was kind of a, a, a lightning bolt quality with Sampras, whereas Novak was just kind of like, I've been holding steady. You're about to redline. You know that, don't you? And then you just kind of topple over. That's the sense I got in the match with, with Dennis. Didn't you think that? Like, you, you're not, that, that, that one-hander, you're, that's, not, that's not meant for the five-all game. Sorry. <laughs> it's high risk. Shapovalov is, is not... He's, we're talking, we'll, we'll continue to talk about risk, and, and that's a fascinating topic. Yeah. Yeah. I also felt just – I'm curious to, to hear what you guys think of this. I think when, when Novak is hitting his excellent deep trades, Shapovalov doesn't always necessarily respond to that quality of shot by dialing back the aggression. It's almost like he's not making the adjustment for the – uh, the level of, of opponent that he's playing, right? Oh, yeah. I think that's spot on analysis. Um, and you see that a lot with young players, Gil. Um, they just haven't, they haven't figured out their dials yet, like you said. Um, but he played a good match. Shapovalov played a really good match. He did. Um, he did. For me, he's one of those players who's like always almost there. He's almost there. He's just a little bit more and, and he'll get it. But his thing, you know, it's interesting. It's a, it's a study of, and I'll talk about this even as a left-hander, but it's also a study of, of business models and style models. Yeah, he's told, yeah, dial it back, stay in the rally. It's like, what, now you want me to be Nishikori? You want me to go fan? Right. And it's not about going for it. It's about building it. It's about knowing. And this is the thing about the pro deal. And it's like a shuffle. All of, he's not going to beat Novak by out-Novacking Novak. So what he has to do is broaden his line of attack. I mean, obviously for a guy like Dennis, to beat someone like Novak or for the player of tomorrow to beat Novak, it's not about doing it from the baseline. It's about doing it from an, finding the way to organize the point to attack somehow. And that's where volley skills and broader skills. It's like, I get the, I get the mindset of, Oh yeah, this guy's steady from the baseline. Don't try to out hit him. Cause you can't, and you got to stay in the rallies, but it's like, that's yeah. And you're going to lose. And, and then, and you're going to play into Novak's trap in another way. You're going to be Gofan or Nishikori. You're going to play the contemporary brand of tennis, not as well as the king, as Novak. And you're going to lose three and three. So a guy like Dennis, 
this we're going to talk more as this continue our show about what do we mean by risk? And this is some fun talk between the three of us of our respective tennis backgrounds, maybe particularly Gil, you and I about my California and your Spain and how right. that plays out in the game. Because in a way, Dennis is looking is seeing, no, I'm seeing what Roger does. You know, I'm seeing what, it, what offense is about. I'm seeing what shot making and angles and energy. I'm not going to beat Novak by just, you know, keeping the ball in play. I got to do something here. But I think what, where we agree is that what Roger is going to do is draw a short ball and then attack it. And Dennis isn't drawing the short ball in the first place. Well, Dennis needs to figure, that's what Dennis's deal is. That's right. He needs to figure out the deployment and the broadening of his game that can draw the short ball. And now he can do something instead of just thinking, I'm going to just throw punches at this guy. You know, Roger's yeah. using the whole dimension of the court. Maybe next time we should, we should have like a whiteboard with a rectangle. <laughs> we, can, we can, you know, we can telestrator it. Right. Right. All right. Let's um, let us end on um, a sad loss in the tennis world. Tony Trabert, who, who Joel, you knew very, very well. And um, I wanted to give you a chance to, to kind of talk about who he was and how important he was to this global community. I'll go globally and then I'll go personally. Tony sure. Trabert was a uh, epic tennis career, number one in the world in 1955, won three majors in one year. So that's pretty good. Um, uh, Davis Cup champion, later became a barnstorming pro, Davis Cup captain, CBS primary analyst for 30 years. Uh, at, at the U.S. Open, most of all, um, president of the Hall of Fame. I mean, he pretty much did everything he did in tennis, and he did it all at the highest level, and he had a great amount of integrity. I think contemporary people who come to mind would be like Stan Smith, Todd Martin, Alex Karecha, you know, people who just thought of as paragons of behavior, Roger Federer, too. Um, I knew Tony. Tony was my original tennis mentor. I wow. went to camp when I was 12 years old from ages 12 to 15. I was a beginner, <laughs> I'd been playing six months. I wasn't even five feet tall. And I learned the game from Tony for four summers at his camp. And then I decided I wanna work at this camp. And so I um, became an instructor there for two years while I was in college. And I learned a lot from him. He was, his camp, the motto was, one thing you always see at Tony Traber tennis camp is Tony Traber. So he wasn't just like the big time guy who would come in and do a little XO and then go. So he was there day in and day out to watch us play. I mean, I have vivid memories of being 13 years old and he watched me won the first tournament I ever played. Also a great tennis mind in a very sensible way. Things that would say, um, he would say, uh, like I'm lurking a serve and volley. He says, that guy's return isn't that good. Hit your second serve first. Why try to go more for your first serve? It's like, yeah. He said, that's how I beat Vixatius in the finals at Forest mm -hmm. Hills. And, and it's like, wow, you're, you're telling me something you did at the world-class level. And it was, it was always very, it was inclusive and it was just rational and thoughtful. He also had a very, um, very clean, flat game, um, had a flat tops and backhands that he taught, which I'm glad I learned first. It's very similar in certain ways to the Federer one-hander. If I, if I likened it to any other three, certainly that way, very flat, simple, low to high, stroke that you hit kind of early very easy shot to learn i learned that first um and uh just a great presence and, I, and again i got to know him professionally i mean a way working for him helped me kind of vault into the tennis world it's like when i started writing about tennis i could say to people 
oh, I worked for Tony Traber. And it was kind of like a little bit of a calling card. You know, what a, I'd been an instructor at a tennis camp. But, uh, and we worked together at CBS. We were on a Hall of Fame committee. And um, uh, about a year and a half ago, I did an oral history for the Hall of Fame. And I went to Florida and spent the better part of an afternoon doing a deep dive, long off-camera interview with him that we taped that's kind of a definitive oral history of him and his life and times. And, and I, wrote, uh, I wrote a couple of pieces around his death. So really interesting. Yeah, Joel, you wrote some, some beautiful tributes detailing some of the things that, that you just talked about, tennis.com, halloffame.org, or, or uh, the, the Hall of Fame website. Right. Right. Um, well, thank, that's un, it's unbelievable, and uh, he will be missed, I'm, I'm sure. Um, well, we are looking forward to the next two weeks, the Australian Open. Uh, we will have you covered with, with as many podcasts as, you know, probably, probably more than one, at least in the second week. Uh, but so we are looking forward to uh, being with you uh, over the course of the Aussie and following Feder, uh, excuse me, following Nadal and Djokovic especially. That'll do it for this episode of three. Remember to leave a like on YouTube, comment on the video if you got something for us. Uh, make sure to subscribe. We are also available on all podcast platforms, and it's a huge help if you leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. We will see you next time on the next episode of three.